This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, as a young kid, I was one of those who snuggled up to my family as we gathered around the radio to listen to our favorite show. And the snuggling would be even tighter when the scary shows like Inner Sanctum came on. And that's where we're headed for our first show, so get snuggling for the episode Terror by Night. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Welcome to the shadowy borderland of a squeaking door, all you hardy adventurers. Into the land of the grisly, ghastly, gruesome, horrid, shocking, and monstrous. <laughs> I mean, in a sanctum. Of course, I assume that we're all old friends here, but if by any chance there's a stranger among us, perhaps I should state the purpose for which we are here assembled. Our object is to make your spine tingle and your hair stand on end. <laughs> That's right. When we're through, you'll discover that a fiend in need is a fiend indeed. <laughs> Heavens, you stop talking so scary, or folks will tune us off their radios. Oh, Mary, I'm just trying to scare them into the chill, so they'll have to drink Lipton tea. <laughs> well, that isn't necessary at all. For a great many years, people have been enjoying Lipton tea without any persuasion from you. That famous Lipton flavor has won the praise of tea experts all over the world. And you know, folks, these experts describe the Lipton flavor by saying that it's brisk. B-R-I-S-K. Now, brisk means that Lipton tea always tastes fresh and, and full-bodied. Yes, tangy and vigorous. Never flat or wishy-washy. That's why I always say you don't know how good tea can be till you know how good Lipton's is. And now, friends, let's go from tea to terror. <laughs> yes, the title of tonight's story is Terror by Night. It's an original radio play by Emil Tepperman. Tell me, have you ever been alone with fear? Alone in the night and frightened? Well, here's Anne Shepherd and the role of Linda Dixon to tell us what happened to her. It was a Friday night, and I think I was already a little nervous as I drove north into the mountains. It was the first day of my vacation. I started from the city early enough to arrive before nightfall, but my car was six years old and developed motor trouble. So now I was driving through the night with 50 miles more to go, and I was tired and nervous and irritated. And 
Then I heard that siren in the distance. At first, I couldn't place it. And then I remembered the state prison was somewhere in the vicinity. The siren. That meant... That meant a prisoner had escaped. I reached over and turned on the radio. They were broadcasting an alarm. I repeat, motorists are warned to be on the lookout for Lee Hartley, who escaped from the death cell at State Prison at 9.15 p.m. He is 5 foot 10, dark-haired, regular features, no distinguishing marks. Hartley is a confirmed killer. He is believed to be armed. Beware of Hartley. He would rather kill than eat. I better give you that again. He would rather kill than eat. And that man was loose. I stared ahead at the lonely road spinning toward me through the windshield. It has been established that Hartley was helped to escape from the outside by his sweetheart, Helen Hearn, a red-headed woman just as vicious as Hartley himself. It is thought that Hartley and the Hearn woman may have separated after the escape. All motorists are warned to beware of a dark-haired man and a red-haired woman, alone or together. My hand was shaking a little as I turned off the radio. I looked in the car mirror and shivered. I, too, have red hair. There was a storm coming up, and I was driving into it. The night was black, and I felt small and lonely and frightened in the car. Then I saw them in the mirror, the, the headlights sweeping up behind me. A car. It had come out of nowhere. It was pulling alongside, cutting me off. I cowered behind the wheel and then watched the door of that other car open. A man stepped out. Oh. I breathed a sigh of relief. It was a state trooper. Driving all alone, Miss? Oh, yes, officer. Uh, sorry if I scared you. We're stopping all cars. Where are you heading for, Miss? Oh, I'm going up to uh, Seven Lakes Hotel. That's near Carstairs. You see, I, I started out late from the city, and I, I'm having motor trouble. Yeah, sure. Can I see your driver's license, please? My, oh, yes, my driver's license, of course. Here, I've uh, got it somewhere in my purse. <laughs> I seem to be off fingers. That escaped prisoner, Hartley. How'd you know about him? Oh, well, I, I heard the prison siren. Then it, it came over the radio about Hartley and his red-haired girlfriend. Say, you've got red hair, too. <laughs> you don't think I'm that woman. Find that license yet? Well, I, I'm sure it's in here. So many... Oh, here, I've got it. Here, here's my license. Thanks. Hmm. What time did you say you left the city? About five o'clock. Took you a long time to get this far. I told you I had motor trouble. Oh, I'm sure you did. Okay, Miss Dixon, here's your license. You can go ahead. Thank you. Done. There it goes again. More motor trouble. No, it's the same thing the mechanic said it might have. There it started. You want to get that fixed first chance you get? Yeah. It's late, though. All the service stations are closed. Yeah, there's one that's open all night about two miles up the road. Oh? You better stop there. Bill Slater's place. He's a good mechanic. Yeah. He'll fix you up. Tell him Joe Nesbitt sent you. Right. Thanks. I will. Uh, listen, Miss Dixon. Yeah. You be careful. 
Don't stop to give anyone a lift, man nor woman. Don't worry, I won't. The night closed in on me again, but I didn't feel quite so nervous, knowing that the trooper was somewhere behind me on the road and Bill Slater's service station ahead. In a few minutes, I saw the lights on the service station. I swung into the open space in front of the pumps. I stopped. There was a rumbling of thunder in the west. The storm was moving up fast. There was another car, a coupe, parked at the pump. But there wasn't anybody in it. And I didn't see any attendant around either. I pressed the horn button. No one answered. No one came out of the office. Still no response. Everything seemed so quiet and suddenly ominous. <laughs> I found myself shivering. I had a curious feeling that someone was watching me. I've got to get away from here fast. Startled when I walk again. It won't start. It won't start. For a long time, I sat behind the wheel, listening. Listening for the sound of footsteps stealing up behind the car. There were none. Then I could bear it no longer. I had to get out of the car. I had to see what was in that office. I opened the door of the car and stepped down on the gravel. Anybody in there? No answer. I clenched my fists and stepped inside. There on the floor at my feet lay the body of a man. His mechanic's jumper was stained red with blood. And his throat was cut from ear to ear. How long I stood there, I'll never know. I was petrified, unable to move, unable to take my eyes from the bloody body. What's that? Someone coming downstairs. Hartley. It must be Hartley, the killer. He must have been hiding somewhere upstairs. I've got to get away outside. But how? My car won't run. That other car, the coupe, I could jump into that. Yes. If I could reach that coupe before he comes down. Anything I... wrong, sister? Too late. Anything I can do for you, sister? Uh, yes. It, it, it's my car. It, it won't start. I thought someone here might help me. Sorry. There doesn't seem to be anybody around. That's my coupe over there. I stopped for gas and no one came out, so I went in and looked around. Did, did, did you find anyone? There isn't a living soul in there. Oh. You... You look kind of tired. Oh, no, no, I'm, I, I'm all right. 
My name is Taylor. Oh? John Taylor. Uh, I'm uh, Linda Dixon. Linda Dixon, huh? Glad to know you. Traveling far tonight? Well, I'm going to Carstairs. Uh, Seven Lakes Hotel. They, they, they're expecting me. Now, what do you know about that? What? Carstairs is the town I'm heading for, too. Isn't that a coincidence? <laughs> yes, I'm sure it is. Your car won't run. Tell you what, we'll put your baggage in my car and I'll give you a lift to Carstairs. You can send for your car in the morning. Oh, uh, no. I... I'll have your bag switched to the Please, no, I, I would rather not. There we are. All switched. Now, come on. Get in here. He took my arm and helped me into the coupe. His hand was strong. His grip was hard. It hurt me. There you are. Snug as a bug in a rug. We drove away into the night, leaving behind us the dead man in the service station. It looks as if pretty Linda Dixon has gotten herself into an awful jam. And believe me, she's shaking like jelly. My goodness, that poor girl. And just think, this is supposed to be her vacation. Why, Mary, she's in the country now, isn't she? In fact, it looks to me like she's going back to the soil. Horizontally. (laughs) Oh, dear. Why do you always look on the dark side of things? Seems to me you're always pessimistic. Of course, lots of folks feel that way at times, like when they've been working too hard and they're tired. But, you know, I think there's nothing better for that let-down feeling than a good hot cup of Lipton's, the tea with the brisk flavor. That brisk flavor really perks you up. You see, that word brisk, B-R-I-S-K, is just another way of saying that Lipton tea tastes full-bodied and and vigorous. Yes, tangy and and spirited, never flat or wishy-washy. So, try Lipton's real soon, won't you, folks? Well, now, let's go back and see how pretty little Linda Dixon is making out. All alone in the car with a strange man. But after all, she shouldn't be too scared of him. He's just a felon who needs a friend. The storm broke a few minutes after we left that service station. We drove through sheets of rain... I sat stiff and tense beside the man who called himself John Taylor. He had both hands on the wheel, and he stared out through the windshield. My eyes focused on something on his right hand. It was a stain, a small stain, but it was wet and red. I couldn't take my eyes off it. What are you looking at? What? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. Hmm. Think I'll turn on the radio. Did you know there's been a jailbreak? Barkley is five foot ten, very dark hair. Don't be fooled by his pleasant manner. He is a killer by instinct. Killer no chances by with instinct. This man. He is absolutely. I looked at the man beside me. Helen Hearn is a clever and dangerous woman. Five foot three, red hair, very pretty. I caught Taylor looking at me out of the corner of his eye. What are you looking at? 
at your hair. It's red. There was a streak of lightning. And looking out of the rain-swept window, I glimpsed a signpost. The lightning illuminated the sign, and my heart skipped a beat at what I saw. That sign we just passed. What about it? Well, it, it uh, said Krahonks in the head. We're going the, the wrong way. We should be on the Carstairs Road, not on the Krahonksen Road. That's funny. Must have taken the wrong turn. Well, aren't you going to turn back? Sure. Whatever you say. We'll turn right around and go back. Uh-oh. We're in the ditch. In the ditch? That's no good. She won't budge. Well, it looks like we're stuck here for the night. You... You look scared. Oh, no. Um, I think I'd better get out and walk. Perhaps there's a house nearby. Walk in this weather? Oh, I don't mind the weather, really. I don't... You can't walk in this storm? Well, uh, nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try. Not on your life. What do you mean? You're staying right here till I get the car out of the ditch. You get pneumonia walking in this storm. But I'm Let's well... Let's see. Where's that flashlight? Ah, here we are. Got some tools in the trunk compartment. You stay put. Stay right where you are. I heard him open the trunk in the back. I listened for further sounds. But there was nothing. I didn't hear him moving here. I didn't hear any tools. I had to find out what he was doing. Slowly, carefully, I got my door open. I stepped out into the ring and sneaked back to the rear. I saw him there, not moving, in front of the open trunk compartment, bending over with a flashlight in his hand. The ray of light was focused on, on something curled up inside. It wasn't baggage or tool. It was a woman's body. Just then he saw me, he snapped the flashlight off, but not before I caught a glimpse of red hair. Then I must have fainted. When I came to, I found myself seated inside the car again. My face and hair were wet. My clothes were dripping. John Taylor was driving. His face as he stared ahead through the night was dark and bleak. The storm was over. Night was quiet. Oh, so you're awake again. I... I don't feel well. Is it because of what's in the trunk compartment? She's dead. I told you not to get out of the car. What are you going to do with me? What do you think? Please. Sorry, sister. Got to take your medicine. Oh, no. Better not make any trouble. I'll try to make it as easy for you as I can. They say that when a person loses all hope, subconsciously he seeks refuge in sleep. 
That's what must have happened to me. I must have dozed, or, or perhaps I fainted, I don't know. But I awoke with a start at the sound of brakes. I sat up straight and saw that we stopped in front of a small fieldstone house. Why are we stopping here? I'm out of gas. Oh. Come on. We're going in. Sign on the door said Roger Bryce, M.D. A doctor's house. I began to feel a spark of hope. There might be a chance. I'll do the talking. Is that clear? Uh, yes. Where's the bell? Oh. Must be awake. There's a light in the parlor. How do you do? Good evening, Dr. Bryce. Yes. Can I help you? I'm terribly sorry to disturb you, Doctor, but my sister and I were heading for Carstairs, and we seem to have gotten lost. And we're out of gas. His sister? He was passing us off as brother and sister. Now I knew why he hadn't cut my throat as he had that service station man's. He was carrying me for protection. I was his passport through the police court. His sister. I'm afraid I can't be of much help to you. I'm seven miles from the nearest town, and I haven't any spare gasoline. Come in, won't you? Why, yes, thank you. We will. I wonder if I could offer you my hospitality for the night. Oh, that would be imposing. Not at all. I have two rooms that aren't being used. Not really? Oh, I... come. I insist. I'd hoped for a chance to talk to Dr. Bryce alone. Just a word to warn him. But Taylor never left us alone for a minute. He insisted on coming into my room. To make sure, he said, that it was comfortable enough for me. Then he took the doctor by the arm and went out with him. Good night, sis. And sweet dreams. I was alone. Free of the presence of John Taylor. I had another lease on life. I waited. My heart pounding. Give them both a chance to retire. Then I slipped off my shoes. And in my stocking feet, I stole across the room. An inch... My door open slowly, carefully. I stepped out into the corridor and turned right toward the doctor's room. What's the matter, Sister? <gasps> you weren't thinking of going anywhere, were you? I wanted a drink of water. A drink of water, huh? In case you didn't know it, there's a water pitcher on your dresser. Oh, I didn't see it. Good night, sister. I turned around and went back into my room. It was no use. If I attempted to warn Dr. Bryce, Taylor would probably kill us both. I turned out the light in my room. I knew he was watching my transom. Then I lay down on the bed. How long I lay there, I don't know. Perhaps I slept, perhaps not. But I heard that slight creak as my door began to inch open. The blood chilled in my veins. Slowly the door came open. I lay fascinated. 
unable to move. Vaguely, I saw the outline of the hand and the knife it held. I, I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. Slowly, he came toward the bed. Now he stands over me. He raises the knife. <laughs> and rolled over on the bed just as the knife slashed down. I rolled off the bed and cowered in a corner. That horrible figure came around the bed after me. With a knife. A brain. Help! Dr. Price, help me! They fought all over the room in the dark. I had no strength. No. To think. Not even to hope. All the life seemed to have gone dead in my veins. And then. Then it was over. But who? Who had won? In the dark, I strained my eyes to see. There was a vague shape on the floor. And another, weaving around the room. Who? Which one was it? Doctor. Doctor Bryce. Is that you? No, Linda. It isn't Doctor Bryce. It's I. John Taylor. John Taylor. Standing there at the light switch. And on the floor lay Dr. Bryce unconscious, with a long gash in his head. I had to hit him with a water pitcher. My eyes turned to Dr. Bryce. I saw the knife still gripped in his right hand. That's Hartley, Linda. Lee Hartley, the killer. It was he who came in here with a knife? Right, I... I was down the cellar just now. The real Dr. Bryce is down there. Dead. And this fellow posed as Bryce when we came to the house. Then... Then you, you're not Hartley. No. Isn't that rich? All the time you thought I was Lee Hartley and... I thought you were Helen Hearn. On account of your red hair. But, but the body, the, the body, the red-haired woman. That's Helen Hearn. This fellow must have killed her back at the service station and stuffed her body in my trunk compartment. While I was inside. That all happened last summer. In time, I think I'll manage to forget that night of horror. But it won't be soon. Sometimes in the night I dream that I, I see that awful figure with the knife poised above my throat. And I wake up screaming. But then John takes me in his arms and holds me tight and tells me that everything's all right. You see, I'm Mrs. John Taylor now. Well, what do you know? A happy ending. As for Mr. Hartley, that pleasant killer, he got what he deserved. Yes, yeah, some people never know when they're well off. You should have stayed in jail where they never raise your rent, where they make no charge for meals or for uh, electric current. You see, when you're in jail, everything is free, except you. <laughs> you know, Mr. Host, that's the first happy ending we've had in a long, long time. And I must say, I enjoyed it. Ah, those lovebirds shouldn't have gotten married. It's bad for business, Mary. 
Now, when she wakes up screaming from a nightmare, she reaches for her husband instead of a hot cup of a Lipton tea. <laughs> well, I'm glad she has a husband to comfort her. There are plenty of other occasions, Mr. Host, when Lipton's tea is welcome. And I don't mean just at mealtimes, either. Lipton's is grand between meals. And, of course, it's the perfect beverage to serve when friends and neighbors drop in to visit you. Yes, I guess that's why more people serve Lipton tea than any other brand. And now a word of caution to all amateur detectives. They say that if you give a criminal enough rope, he'll hang himself. But if you give some criminals enough rope, they might tie you up. Oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Puzzle for Wantons by Patrick Quentin. Yes, and next week's Inner Sanctum story, directed by Hyman Brown, and brought to you by Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup. Next week's story is about a lonely man who falls in love with a mannequin in a store window. But gee, fella wants a real girl. So he tries to make her come to life. And what do you know? He finds he has to kill her first. <laughs> well, now it's time to close the squeaking door, so... Good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Stay tuned for the Jack Benny Show next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now it's time for that master of the silent take, Jack Benny. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Feeling low. Feeling
No, really, it was awful. Well, I, I'm sorry, Jack, but I just couldn't help it. Yesterday, the dentist put a new gold crown on one of my teeth, and it bothers me when I speak. Look, Mary, I don't want any excuses. I'm just telling you that a gold crown... <laughs> Yes. What happened to your old one? You kissed me and it melted. <laughs> Gee, I didn't know I... Oh, don't be funny. <laughs> and now for you, Phil. During the program, you made a mistake that almost ruined a big laugh. I did? Yes. You were supposed... <laughs> Look, Phil. You were supposed to say that your new car came equipped with a Dynaflex super-flowing unijet turbovasculator, which is synchromesh with the multi-coil hydrotension dual vacuum dynamometer. Uh-huh. But instead of that, instead of that, Phil, you said your new car came equipped with a Dynaflex super-flowing unijet turbovasculator, which is synchromesh with a multi-coil hydrotension dual vacuum dynamama mater. Imagine dynamama mater. <laughs> I said that? <laughs> you certainly did. Holy smoke, and I stayed on the wagon all week to get that line right. <laughs> well, I'll give you one more chance, Bill. Read it now. Jackson, I wouldn't read that line again if you named me in your will. A will? What's that? That's when you leave your money to somebody. <laughs> Whoever started a silly thing like that... <laughs> Now, let's see, uh, who else made a mistake? Oh, yes, Dennis. Go ahead, whip me, beat me, torture me, but I'll carry on. Laugh, clown, laugh! <laughs> Dennis, stop that! <laughs> okay, did I do something wrong on today's show, Mr. Benny? Yes, you did, Dennis. In our sketch, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, I let you play two parts, didn't I? Yes, sir. But when you play the old prospector, you put in a line that wasn't even in the script. Yes, sir. You said, so long, I'll see you on page 12 when I come back as a Mexican bandit. <laughs> Didn't you? Si, senor. <laughs> now, if it wasn't in the script, why did you say you were coming back later? Well, my mother was listening, and I didn't want her to tune out. <laughs> Wait a minute. You mean your mother only listens to the part of the program that you're on? Yeah, she thinks you're awful. <laughs> Look, Dennis. She said if you didn't have the mortgage on our house, she'd slap your silly face. All right. All, I didn't keep you here to discuss my real estate holdings. The, 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 the point I'm trying to make is this. If there's going to be any more ad-libbing on this program, I'll be the one to do it. Oh, fine. What? You couldn't add lib there off if you were at the Kentucky Derby and your suspenders broke. Suspenders broke, suspenders broke. Mary, don't be so smart. You can be replaced, you know. There are plenty of other girls in the May Company that can read lines. Now, kids, I wasn't bawling you out. I just wanted you to be a little more careful. Well, That's Jack, it. you didn't say anything to me. Does that mean I read my lines right? Yes, son, you read your lines perfectly. But I do have one little complaint about the way you stand on the stage. What do you mean? Well, when the sportsman quartet came on to do their number, 
You were standing in front of the microphone blocking them. Now, you should have stepped aside. But, Jack, I did step aside. No, no, Don. The part that had legs stepped aside. The rest of you stayed. <laughs> now, watch it next time, pear shade. <laughs> hey, gang, how about all of us going over to the drugstore for a sandwich? That is, if Mr. Benny has concluded the chastisement of his fellow thespians. <laughs> Phil, did that, uh, that come out of you? Certainly. What's so unusual about me knowing words of more than one cylinder? That cylinder! <laughs> A cylinder is something round and hollow, like your head. <laughs> now, kid, you go to the drugstore, and I'll meet you at later. I gotta go to my dressing room and change. Yeah, I hated to ball them out, but I just had to. I hope I wasn't too harsh with him. Especially Phil. He's so sensitive. Oh, hello, Rochester. Oh, hello, boss. I didn't know you were in my dressing room. What are you doing with that typewriter? Just what you told me to do. I'm making out the weekly payroll. Oh, yes. You go ahead and finish while I change clothes. Yes, sir. Mary Livingston. And 40 cents. Oh, Rochester, where are my shoes? Uh, under the couch. Bill. Harris. And 30 cents. I don't see my shoes. Oh, yes, here they are. Don. Wilson. And 50 cents. Rochester, Van Jones, and 12 cents. Hey, Rochester, have you made out Dennis Day's salary check yet? Uh, no, boss, I'm just coming to it. Oh, good. I want you to add $2 to Dennis's check. Well, that's nice. Did you give him a raise? No, we burned one of his shirts ironing it. <laughs> So while you're at it, deduct a dollar from your check and a dollar from mine. Next time we won't be so careless. <laughs> By the way, Rochester, did you have the radio on? Uh-huh. Were you listening to my program? Uh-huh. What'd you think of it? We better stop burning shirts. <laughs> you're right, Rochester. Well, I'm all dressed. Step aside, please. I want to use the mirror. Okay. Here's your comb, boss. Thanks. Here's your hair. <laughs> Thanks. Gee, I look tall. Take the old one off first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going, Rochester. And before you leave, hang my clothes up in the closet, will you please? Yes, sir. You know, it was nice of CBS to pick up this dressing room for me and put in all this plumbing. Boss, the plumbing was here. They just built the dressing room around it. <laughs> oh, then I guess the whisk room was left over, too. <laughs> well, see you later, Rochester. So long. Uh-oh. Uh, Rochester, while you're at the typewriter, I wish you'd jot down the words... They're off. They're off? What's that, boss? 
something I want to ad lib in case my suspenders ever break at the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> so long. Oh, boss, boss. What is it, Rochester? I forgot to tell you while you were on the air, Mr. Hooper called. Hooper? You're telling me you were listening to my program? He didn't care about that. He called about his shirts. <laughs> oh, well, they won't be ready till Monday. Gee, I remember the time I burned Mr. Hooper's shirt. My rating went down to 9.2. <laughs> or was it 2.9? Oh, well, that was weeks ago. Now my rating is back to 11. Or is it 1.1? <laughs> Oh, well. Well, Jack, Jack. Huh? Where are you, Don? Well, here in my dressing room with the quartet. Oh. I thought you went over to the drugstore with the gang. Oh, the boys and I are just playing a little gin rummy. Oh, hello, fellas. <clears throat> Say, uh, Jack, I'm terribly sorry there were so many mistakes made on the program today. Well, I am too, Don, and frankly, I haven't been so upset after a broadcast in years. Well, mistakes can happen. Don't let it bother you. I know, Don, but my whole gang has been with me for years. There's no excuse for such carelessness. I really was burned up. Well, Jack, the next time there's anything that upsets you, there's only one thing to do. What's that? Tell him, boys! Powder your face with sunshine Put on a great big smile Fill those blue eyes with laughter I'm not mad, fellas. Oh, laughing with you in a little while Look, and I'm over Powder it already. Powder your face with my They always are inside Get on that level That lucky level Smile, smile, smile Look, I'm Oh, yeah. Come along, Miss Livingstone. 
Phil. I'm buying a magazine. Okay, I'll go over and hold this seat. Here's your change, miss. Oh, thank you. Come on, Dennis. Well, oh, just a minute, Mary. I'm weighing myself. Oh, boy, look at this little card that came out. Well, what does the card say? Go to the races. You may get hot at Hollywood Park. <laughs> oh, Dennis. Come on. Right over here, Libby. Say, Phil, look. There's an article in this Cosmopolitan about Jack, and it's written by Eddie Cantor. No kidding. What's it say? Oh, just his opening line. Contrary to the miserly character he assumes on the radio, Jack Benny in real life is the most generous man I've ever met. <laughs> Eddie Cantor wrote that about Jackson? Hey, Libby, freeze again, will you? <laughs> Contrary to the miserly character he assumes on the radio, Jack Benny in real life is the most generous man I've ever met. Let me see that magazine, baby. Contrary to the miserly character he assumes on the radio, Phil. Jack Benny in real life Phil. is the most generous man I ever met. And... Phil. Huh? You got the magazine upside down. <laughs> All right, so I memorized it. But imagine anyone saying that Jackson is generous. Well, I think Mr. Benny is very generous. When I first went to work for him, he only paid me $35 a week. What are you getting now? $37. Oh, I gave you a raise. No, he burned one of my shirts. <laughs> oh, Dennis, what are you... Uh-oh, I gotta leave you, kid. There's Remley. Well, I didn't know Remley had a car. That ain't no car. He's got a cold. So long, kid. <laughs> menu so we can... Dennis, where is that kid? Dennis! Oh, I'm over here by the jukebox. Would you like to hear my recording of Little Mother of Mine? Oh, I'd love to. Okay. Sometimes in the hush of evening hour when from the west, I think of the twilight songs you sang, and the boy you loved to rest. A wee little boy with tousled head, that long, long ago was
water, the harm, and the life. But the heart is unchanged by time. And still he is only your boy and a They all applauded. Yeah, yeah, they all applauded. Here I am, kids. Did you order yet? Oh, not yet, Jack. We're waiting for you. Oh, good, good. I'll get the menu. Oh, waiter. Waiter. (laughs) (laughs) May we have a menu, please? Certainly. Here you are. Thanks. Now, let's see... Oh, waiter, why have you got all those steering wheels attached to the counter? Those are for people who like to eat in drive-ins and can't afford cars. <laughs> cars? The one on the end is a convertible. What? If you press the button, the roof comes down. Oh, be quiet! Why do I always run into this crazy guy? I don't know what I want to eat. Dennis, what are you going to order? A hamburger sandwich and check my oil. (laughs) Dennis, stop going along with the waiter. Now, let's see. What do I want? Yeah, are you people going to order, or are you waiting for the floor show? A floor show in a drugstore? Yes. At 8 o'clock, Dr. Scholl comes out and does a fan dance with two foot pads. Dr. Scholl? He's corny, but he's good. <laughs> Just take our orders, and that's all. We'll have three hamburgers. Now, go get them. Oh, wait a minute, Jack. I don't want a hamburger. Well, you can have anything you like. What do you want? A chipsweet sandwich. <laughs> I know it. I know it. I know it. Stop yelling at the girl. We make wonderful chipsweet sandwiches. <laughs> You do? Yeah. Well, then I'll try a chit-squeeze sandwich. <laughs> Would you like me to crimp the truss? <laughs> crimp the truss. I don't know why I ever come in this place. The service is awful. The waiter's... So... Oh, for heaven's sake, look at that. Waiter, come back here. No. Now what? Look at this glass. There's lipstick on it. Well, there's water in it. Wash it off. Wash it off yourself. <laughs> you know, Mary, I've never seen such a fresh waiter in all my life. Hey, mister, would you mind moving your elbow so I can get the sugar? I don't know why I come in here anyway. We never can get a booth. We always have to sit at the counter. Mister, would you move your elbow so I can get the sugar? 
Believe me, Mary, this is the last time I'm ever... Hey, going... look, Bud, I'm trying to get the sugar. What? Would you mind lifting your blockade or do I have to wait till May the 12th? Oh, I'm sorry. Here you are. Now, Mary, as soon oh, as we... Oh, Jack, Jack, look who just came in. Who? Well, what do you know? Eddie Tanner. Eddie, Eddie, come here. Hiya, Jack. Hello, Mary. Sit down, Eddie. Have a sandwich or something. Thanks, Jack. Eddie, you know Dennis Dave. Sure, sure. Hello, Dennis. Well, Eddie Camper, how do you do? <laughs> now, Dennis, stop. Come on, Eddie. What are you going to have? Well, I'm not very hungry, but wait. Uh, I'll have a sandwich, uh, chicken sandwich and an ice cream soda. Very good. Uh, what flavor? The usual. A glass of Patsy Ribbon with a scoop of vanilla ice cream. <laughs> Eddie, ice cream and beer, isn't that an odd combination? Look, Jack, do I say anything when you break six lucky strikes into a bowl and call it the breakfast of champions? <laughs> well, to each his own, I guess. Say, Eddie, that was a nice article you wrote about Jack and the Cosmopolitan. It certainly was, Eddie, and I want to thank you. It was a very honest piece. I'm glad you liked it, Jack. Did you read the part where I said, contrary to the miserly character he assumed on the radio, Jack Benny in real life is the most generous man I've ever met? Yes, I did, Eddie, and only a man like you, who has known me all my life, can appreciate the finer side of my character. Hey, Mary, you want to split a bromo seltzer? <laughs> no, my head's all right. It's my stomach that bothers me. <laughs> Mary, please. Mary, you may think I'm exaggerating about Jack's generosity, but I'll never forget that day in 1928 when he first played the Palace Theater in New York. After the opening performance, Jack walked into Lindy's restaurant and yelled, Okay, fellas, I'll buy drinks for everybody. Five drinks in 1928? Prohibition wasn't repealed until 1933. Jack was willing to wait. <laughs> yeah. Here's your orders. Will there be anything else? No, thanks. That'll be all. Say, Eddie, speaking of the palace in New York, remember the fun we used to have in Vaudeville together? Oh, yeah. Jack, remember the time? <laughs> What, what, Eddie? What, what? Remember the time you made a blind date over the phone and you asked the girl if she could bring a friend for me? And she said, yes, she'd bring a sister? Yeah. <laughs> Did she bring her sister? She had to. They were Siamese twins. <laughs> yeah, they were invaudible, too. They had a great act. They were, their names were Doris and Dorothy Ace. They were billed as aces back to back. <laughs> Dennis, I'll have that Bromo Seltzer now. Gosh, Eddie, those were the days. Good old boy. We used to see a lot of each other then. Oh, yeah. Say, look, Jack, why don't you and Mary come over to my house for dinner next Saturday night? Oh, I'd love to, Eddie. Me too. Good. You see, it's my birthday, and we're having a few friends over. Your birthday, eh? How old are you going to be, Eddie? Uh... <laughs> no, come on, Eddie. Tell me. What's the difference? How old are you going to be? How old am I going to be? What's the use of kidding, Jack? Everyone else I can lie to, but not you. You know my right age. You know I'm even older than you. Well, I know, I know, but how old are you going to be? Forty. <laughs> well, me next. Say, <laughs> so, Eddie, I was just wondering, how old? Now, this is just between you and me, you know? How old do you think Al Jolson is? 
I don't know, but Ida is his daughter. <laughs> no kidding. Well, I've got to run along, Jack. Oh, waiter, waiter. Yes. Uh, my check, please. Oh, no, no. Wait a minute, Eddie. Get your hand out of your pocket. Huh? I asked you to sit here. This is on me. No, 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 Jack. You were here already, and I horned in. Waiter, give me my check. Oh, no, you don't. Look, Eddie, we've been friends for years. You wrote this wonderful article about me, and now you want to spoil the whole thing. Waiter, how much is Mr. Cantor's check? It's 65 cents. After all, Eddie, I... 65 cents? For what? All we had was a chicken sandwich and a glass of beer. Jack, I'll pay for you it. You will not. He wrote the article about me. <laughs> oh, look, waiter, how can his bill be 65 cents? All he had was a chicken sandwich and a glass of beer. If he had the beer, why are you foaming at the mouth? <laughs> Now, waiter, this is outrageous. It's highway robbery. Jack, Jack, don't make a scene. Let me have the check for heaven's sake. I will not. You're my guest. All right, waiter, it's a hold-up, but I'll pay it. Can you change a $50 bill? I can change it. You shut up! <laughs> Jack, it's me, Eddie, the one who wrote all those nice things about you. Like I said in my article, Jack Benny is the most generous man I've ever... You can stop with that already, too. I don't mind being generous, Eddie. But when you first came in here, you said you weren't hungry. Then you sat here and stuffed yourself. <laughs> Five cent bill. <laughs> a flattery won't get you anywhere, Mr. Cantor. Here's your check. Come on, Mary, let's go. But Jack, Jack. How do you like that guy? He's gone. Well, I'm glad. Waiter, how much did you say that check was? Sixty-five cents? No, it's three dollars and a quarter. What? He didn't pay his either. <laughs> well, this is a fine how do you do? How do you do? Shut up! <laughs> Stay tuned in for the Amos Mandy Show, which follows immediately. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Duffy's Tavern, followed by Johnny Duller. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.